The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Do you know what your name would be if your name meant God is salvation? If your name meant God is salvation, do you know what your name would be? It would be Elisha. And that's who we're going to study today on this edition of Exploring the Word. Hi, Alex McFarland here. So glad you're listening. And with me, as always, is Bert Harper. And you are listening to the American Family Radio Network. And we're so honored that you are. And we're doing a series that we call Prophets, Kings, and Kingdoms. And we've talked quite a bit about Elijah and his successor was Elisha, and the, the men are very similar, but the men are very different. And we're going to talk about some of those things, but Bert, um, Elisha, that's, that's a pretty good name, isn't it? God is salvation. It is, and, and you know, if you preach a sermon and you use Elijah and Elisha together, you have to work at not mixing them up. I, I'm just telling <laughs> well, you that true. because they're very similar, but yes, God is salvation, and he brings salvation. Elisha is, is, is Elijah's servant, and he is going to be anointed as the, the next great prophet to follow mm-hmm. in Elijah's, uh, you know, footsteps. And it's interesting. Second Kings chapter 2 has this journey that they take, and this is where we find the chariot of fire and the whirlwind taking up Elijah. And then the mantle falls off of Elijah, and Elisha mm-hmm. picks it up, and he goes to the Jordan River, and, uh, you know, some great things begin to happen. And when he asks, you know, uh, where's the Lord God of Elijah, uh, the, he parts that and goes back over across. So Elijah was a great prophet, and Elisha followed him. And uh, Alex, those two men, that— you know, I, let me put it this way. I've struggled in how to say it. But having them follow one another was similar to Moses and Joshua. You, oh, absolutely. You catch what I'm saying? Two in a row. That's a great comparison. Uh, and, and so uh, you know, there was no weakness in that. You know, when you think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, Abraham, man of faith, Jacob to produce the sons that would become the tribes, Isaac was a good man, but you don't hear near as much about Isaac. It's kind of a, a dash. But between mm-hmm. Elijah and Elisha, man, there it, it just as strong as it can be. No let up at yeah. all, was there? Uh, no, no let up. And, you know, Bert, um, maybe I'm stretching things a bit here, but I've always, when I've read Second Kings uh, 2.13, Elisha, quote, took up the mantle that Elijah fell from him. In other words, the mantle or the cloak that was around Elijah fell on Elisha's shoulders. And, you know, this symbolized, I was reading on the word mantle or cloak, um, you know, it meant the, the power and the presence, the anointing of God. But I was thinking about something. You think about a fireplace mantle, you know, M-A-N-T-L-E. You know, generally, if you've got a fireplace, the, the mantle is up there, and maybe you've got you know, some candles up on the mantle or a bookshelf or something. But you know what's under a mantle? 
a fire. Beneath the mantle is a fire. Wow. And in the case of a man of God, um, his ministry, his outward work, his proclamation, like Elijah and Elisha, if you're serving Christ, there's got to be a fire underneath you. Uh, am I right? It is. And notice it is recognized in verse 15. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Amen. It was evident. And, and listen, uh, I, I believe in mentorship. You know, uh, oh, of you, course. you and I have both talked about men that were our professors, you know, uh, in schools and, and in, in seminary and in college and the difference they've made in our own personal lives. Pastors that have gone before us that have invested uh, their lives in us. We're the recipients of that. And so uh, this statement, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And uh, it was evident. So that fire, and that's that's uh, that. I don't think that's stretching it, Alex. What your illustration? Uh, because the mantle went across the shoulders, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so that's was that's where you would wear it, and underneath was the heart. And your heart, yeah. and I know it's. I know this is spiritualizing too, not the pump organ, but the innermost being, being on fire with passion for God. Uh, and yes, it was passed on. And may yes. the spirit of those who've gone before us in their trust in the Lord, may we keep that kind of spirit in our lives, Alex. Well, you know, when I travel and preach, and by the way, we had such a great revival in Macon, Mississippi, and had uh, the spirit of the Lord moved in a great way last night, and we saw um, at least two people come to Christ last night, and it was great. But I've been very blessed, Bert. I've got a couple of Bibles. I've got a Bible that belonged to my grandmother. I've got uh, a Bible that belonged to my mom and dad. I've got a Bible. There's a dear lady, uh, Lydia Bowman, and she was the first employee of Child Evangelism Fellowship, uh, Jesse Overholzer, that founded CEF many, many, many decades ago. Uh, the first full-time missionary was Lydia Bowman, and she's quite elderly now. She's, I believe, 101 now. But I've got her Bible that she carried probably about— 75 or 80 years ago. And, you know, um, whenever I'm on the road preaching, I take one of these special Bibles with me, and I, you know, love to read from God's Word. But, Bert, I'm I'm sure you too, you have probably some very special things that have been entrusted to you over the years that just represent, look, we serve the King of Kings, and we depend on His Spirit and His power to uh, make our ministry fruitful. Amen. That's a great illustration. Talking about the Bible, I want to talk about one, and it's my dad's. And after he died, uh, they gave me one of his Bibles, the main one that he used, and I was looking through it on on one of the pages, you know, blank pages. He had, uh, you know, how to be saved, and he had that all written out. And then I turned over, and it says, it talks about it, and he wrote this scripture down, I will not offer anything to the Lord that costs me nothing. And, of course, that's from David talking about buying that land, you know, Alex. But you talking about handing that down to me from him, my dad, uh, you know, and it being given to me, uh, it does cause you to, I, I think, check up on yourself, to examine yourself, to make sure you're in the faith, 
to make sure that you're keeping uh, a short list of unconfessed sins. Hopefully, it's a no on that list, but uh, get right with God and let that fire burn. Now, what's going to put that fire out? Let's talk about that for a moment. I know this is kind of getting off the subject, but I think this is worthy. What puts out the fire that uh, that is handed down, that fire that you was talking about under the mantle? I, I know sin, uh, unconfessed sin, will, will put that fire out. You know, wrong doctrine will put that fire out. Uh, and, and I would say uh, laziness. Uh, there may be others, but those are the three that came to me quickly. Uh, to have a fire burning, you got to, I'm using an old term, stoke it. Stoke yeah. the fire. That means throw that in. If it's cold, put the fire in. If it's wood, put that wood in. You got to stoke the fire to keep it burning. You got to let God keep on operating in your life, Alex, to keep that fire burning. Amen. You you, you really do. And you know it's interesting though Elijah and Elisha are similar. You know, Bert, I was reviewing. I was reading earlier today, a couple of hours ago, First uh, Kings eighteen, where Ahab said to Elijah, "Are you the one that troubles Israel?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I, here, here he comes. The problem, and Elijah says, "It is not me who troubles Israel, but it is you, because you have forsaken the Lord's commandments." You know, Elijah was not afraid to lay the cards on the table. But what, what's really kind of interesting is they were different in, um, you know, I'm just going to say this, Elijah's preaching and miracles kind of um, <laughs> brought death sometimes. And Elisha's miracles really were more a little bit about restoration and healing. All right, Old and New Testament. Law and grace. Now they're they're not at odds with each other. There's harmony, and you know, as Norm Geisler used to say, to understand the Bible, look for Jesus on every page, and He's there. But in a way, just like um, Mount Sinai is about law, Mount Calvary is about grace. Bert, could it be said that Elijah was really more a prophet of judgment, and Elisha? was more of a prophet of grace. I would agree with that, Alex, because you're going to see that Elisha, uh, again, Ray, you know, yes, uh, 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 Elijah did some, but Elisha was more so. And did Elisha have a prophetic when uh, voice for his judgment? Yes, he did. Uh, but let me just say that I agree with you, but you better not mess with God's anointed. You've heard that before. Oh, yeah. I think in chapter 2, verses uh, 23 through 25. I just want to read that. This is about Elisha. It just shares something. And it's talking about Elisha. He went up there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youth came from the city and mocked him and said, Go up, you bald head. Go on up, you bald head. So he turned around, looked at them, pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord, and two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. Now, I, mm. again, I know you're talking about his life. This is just, but he still is sort of like Jesus, okay? Jesus, uh, very kind toward people, but he is also, he cleansed the temple two different times. He would call yeah. them, you snakes in the grass or you hypocrites. So this grace that we 
talk about, and it is grace. Don't you misunderstand? You know, if we're not careful, we'll think, well, it's a it's a license. No, it's not a license. This grace that God has placed in our, our, our lives has some teeth in it. Let me just put it that way. It changes our lives. Uh, the grace of God bestowed upon us gives us a whole new perspective. We're a new creation in Christ. Yes, we love and we care. But, Alex, it also lets us know we've got purpose and direction. And sometimes it comes out in courage and strength. And even to the point of defending and and, and and being very strong. And I think that proves that about those youths calling Elisha Baldhead. Well, and, you know, let me just say this. Skeptics love to pull this out. I've, I was in a debate one time, and they brought out, you know, um, uh, this, this thing from 2 Kings, where uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23, where he's walking along. And the King James says, little children— yeah. came out of the city. And atheists will love to say, oh, you know, how ungodly is this? Just some helpless little children. But really the word there means youths, young adults. And as one writer said, you know, these were not just children on the playground taunting. Uh, these were these were kind of thugs. Yeah, it would be demog- like a gang today. You know what yeah, I mean? It, would, it, would it was be, like a gang. Yeah, it's exactly what it was, and it has that connotation of use. In other words, that area of life when, you know, people making those decisions, they make the wrong decision, they go in a horrible way. And these, I think you would say this gang of, of, of young men. I really do, Alex. Exactly. And uh, they were mocking his age and... You know, that was not the right thing to do for the man of God. Hey, folks, you're listening to Exploring the Word. We're talking about Elisha, the prophet, and we'll continue after this break. Plus, take your calls and Bible questions. Stay tuned, please, to Exploring the Word. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Jennifer Homendy, chair of the National Transportation Safety Board. Her agency is responsible for civil accident investigation, including aviation, highway, ships, pipeline, bridges, and railroads. Psalm 139 verses 9 and 10 reminds us of God's protection as we travel. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Jennifer Homendy as the NTSB investigates civil accidents. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. If your problems and pain are pressing in on you, Dr. Tony Evans says it's important to press back. He'll explain how to do that as we spend two minutes with Tony. If you go in water and you go deep enough, you're going to get locked jaw. You won't even be able to open up your mouth because the deeper you go, the more pressure you feel. If a boat goes down in the water too far, the pressure of the water will collapse the boat. Too much pressure. That is except if you're a submarine because the inside in a sub is pressurized. 
So it can go down, way down, and way deep in spite of the pressure because when they pressurize a submarine, there is more pressure on the inside than the pressure coming at it from the outside, which is able to allow it to sustain itself in the pit of the darkness of the depth of the ocean. But if you go real deep and there's no pressure on the inside, the pressure on the outside is going to flatten you like a pancake. The reason why so many Christians are collapsing is there's not enough pressure of walking with God on the inside to override the pressure coming at them from the outside. And so we collapse. There used to be a time when we grew up when the Christian worldview dominated. So even if you weren't a Christian, you respected the Christian worldview. And now Christianity has become persecuted all around the world where that value system, that ethic is no longer accepted as the respected norm. And the more serious you are with your walk with God, the more odd you will look like. Not because you're trying to be weird, not because you're trying to be different. It's that you just are different. Learn more about how the power of real faith can reshape your reality. Get details on Dr. Evans' message series, Heroes of the Faith, by visiting us at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Now, back to the Bible study. You're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. It's about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. It's about the stone. In the last years of King Ahab's rule, you read that in like 1 Kings chapter 19. Scholars think this is probably about 850 BC, but in the last years of the rule of Ahab, along comes the prophet Elisha. And that's what we're talking about on Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland here. And uh, Bert, I love for, um, 2 Kings 3, 4, 5, and 6. And hey, folks, man. I do too, um, Alex. It's, hey, let listen. me just say, I'm interrupting, but... <laughs> It's, it's neat. It's fun. If, if people think that reading the Bible is boring, read oh about goodness. Elijah and Elisha. Man. Yes. Let me, let me give a little bit of a homework assignment, if I may. Tonight, read 2 Kings. It's in the Old Testament. Look for 2 Kings and, and read chapter 3 through 6. It won't take long at all. But you're right. It is just, you can't put it down. I mean... Um, in chapter 4, he um, Elisha does some miracles, really, some works of God, saves some children from slavery. Okay, there's some soup that's poison, chapter 4, and he makes this poison soup edible. He um, also provides water for some armies. And by the way, one of the things that archaeologists have excavated uh, in the area of Jericho is this water spring, Elisha's water spring, which was uh, made into a well, the well of Elisha, and it goes back for time immemorial. I mean, an actual site of where he ministered is there. But I've always thought one of the most interesting things is in Second Kings chapter 6, when Elisha made an axe head float. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, a, 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 an iron, the head of an axe. You know, among other things, he takes a reed, stirs the water, and retrieves it. This worker was horrified, like, oh, I'm going to be in bad trouble because I was swinging an axe, and the head flew off, and it's in the bottom of the lake. 
and he does this miracle and makes an axe head float. Clearly, Elisha had a multifaceted and, frankly, thrilling ministry for God. He did. Now, I want to take chapter 6, what you've just done, and get some spiritual application. Here, here's this young man. He's so poor, and he's in the school of the prophets. And he's borrowed this axe head, and he's chopping wood right next to, a, a, you know, some water river there, and the axe head comes off and flies off. He doesn't have enough money to replace it. And in those days, an axe head was valuable. Uh, mm-hmm. It's still valuable if you're a camper today, you know, or a woodsman. No, yeah. But it was it cost a lot. He didn't have it, so he didn't know what to do. So he goes to the president of the seminary here, okay? I'm, I'm mm-hmm. bringing it up to date, and it's Elisha, and he says, I've lost it. Notice the question that this man of God Ask this, where did you lose it? Where did it fall? So he took him down there, and that's when he threw it in. But the prophet could have known it. When you see this, notice the question. It's similar to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and they're hiding from God. And then God says, where are you, Adam? Where are you? God knows. Now here, it's with... with, uh, Elisha, he possibly could have known or didn't know, but he asked that question. But here's the question. You know, have you ever heard the illustration about a pastor, a preacher, evangelist, a singer, whatever, losing the sharpness of their axe head? Mm-hmm. Alex, have you ever heard the story about the two men, that, the one had the dull axe head, and he, he worked all day, never took time to sharpen it. But the other guy, he would take about half of his time sharpening an axe, and at the end of the day, the guy who had the sharpened axe cut more wood than the guy who had the dull axe. So you want to keep your axe sharp, but you don't want to lose it. Can you imagine having a handle with no axe head on it? It doesn't do any good. So the question that has been asked of me, and they used a sermon this way, and I've passed it on as well, you're talking about the fire. You don't want to put the fire out with the axe head. You don't want to lose your axe head when you're preaching. You want to keep on uh, using it. And if you if you do lose it, the question is, where did you lose it? You got to go back to where you lost it to claim it. You can't uh, look you, you anywhere do. else. You got to go to where you lost it. In Second Kings six six, essentially Elisha is asking the man, where did you last see it? Because he said, you know, I lost this axe head, and alas, it was borrowed. It wasn't mine. By the way, that that um, student, one of the sons of the prophets, uh, certainly was a person of integrity, wasn't he? He was. He's, he, I've got to retrieve this, and it was borrowed. You know, we often preach about uh, Elisha. We could preach a sermon about this worker who lost this thing because he was humble, and he went to uh, see the man of God. He didn't make a blame. He owned up to what his need was. Where did you last see it? Let me just say, friends, if you are, if you need revival, if you uh, are backslidden, or you might not be in some overt sin, but you just feel like you need to come back to the Lord, you think about when Christ was real to you, and your heart was just on fire for the Lord, and you'd get up, and you'd, before you rushed into your day, you would read the Word and pray and have a quiet time with God. You think about that and go back to that place and retrace your steps and start back fresh with the Lord. And I think we all need to do that sometimes, sometimes even repeatedly. And um, 
you know, there's just a lot of miracles that uh, Elisha did, and I mean, let, let me just say this. Hebrews, you know, the book of Hebrews has kind of the Faith Hall of Fame, and one of the things that it says in the book of Hebrews that Abel offered an excellent sacrifice to God, and it says regarding Abel, who was obedient, he being dead yet speaketh. In other words, his legacy of obedience to God outlived him. Well, that was certainly the case even of Elisha. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but Elijah, he had a double portion of Elijah's anointing, so much so that uh, even after he was dead, a dead man fell onto <laughs> Elisha's grave, Second Kings 13. Um, think about this. Elisha was dead and buried, and a, a, a dead man was tossed onto his gravesite, and, quote, he revived and stood up on his feet. Now, when you're doing miracles even after you've left this world, that's power. It is. Well, the reason is uh, Elisha was just filled, that double portion. I, I want to go back because what we're doing, we're covering Elisha, and we're if we did it, uh, you know, each chapter and each event, we would be there for more time than we've allotted for that. But I do want to go back, if you would, in chapter 3, Alex, Jehoshaphat and uh, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, uh, they're trying to beat off the king of Edom and all of that and Moab and all the things. And Jehoshaphat in verse 11 says, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? That's the second time. Jehoshaphat always wanted to know what God had to say. But I love verse 12. Elisha, the son of, uh, comes and uh, and. Uh, he poured water on the hands of Elijah. He was his servant. But look at verse 12. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. Just talking about, I was talking about they could see the spirit that was on uh, Elijah was also on Elisha. And, mm -hmm. and the king, Jehoshaphat, said the word of the Lord is with him. Amen. There, there was evidence. And I, I wanted to bring up something that happened Charles Finney, the great evangelist in the early early 1800s, and, and just, I mean, he was a powerful preacher, people being saved. It is said that he was in one of the towns and cities, and he would walk into a business or into a factory, and people could sense the presence of God there as Finney just walked in. And and. Seems like Elisha has that, Alex. In other words, oh, yeah. uh, when he came to those sons of prophets, they recognized the spirit was in him. Here was King Jehoshaphat who recognized the word of God was with him. And so it, God can really permeate our lives, Candy. We, we, need, oh, we need to have a spirit within us that people take notice that we've been with Jesus. That's, uh, Amen. I think Elisha... Uh, in the Old Testament, you was talking about him being more like the New Testament. I think he mm -hmm. shows that power of the Holy Spirit to change and, and give life. I agree with you fully on that. Well, and, and you know what's interesting is um, he was younger. Uh, they think that Elijah and Elisha probably ministered alongside each other maybe six years, you know. but uh, And there was this guild uh, or school of prophets, do, do you get the feeling that after Elijah uh, went on up to heaven, 
that it took a while for Elisha to have the, the same level of respect that Elijah had had, maybe. Yeah. That um, initially they didn't take him as seriously as Elijah, but certainly over time and the hand of God so clearly evident on him, they did eventually. You know, how would you like to follow somebody that defeated 450 prophets of Baal? You know? Yeah. Uh, it's... Uh, let me just digress a minute about pastors. I, I, I've been one 40-something years, still doing mm. interim pastorate work, and and just God's called me into that, and I, I enjoy it. But, you know, following someone that that just was a man that maybe planted a church, built that church, grew that church, and then they either die, retire, or move on, and then the guy that comes in and follows him, Alex, most of the time, there's a little bit of a uh, downward spiral, uh, you know. Uh, well, the great church, Bellevue Church up in Memphis, Tennessee, where R.G. Lee pastored, and it just became a mega church. Then they had a great man of God. He was great, Ramsey Pollard, a great man, good preacher. But again, the church kind of grew stagnant and wasn't growing, and then Dr. Adrian Rogers comes on, and man, it became bigger than ever, you know. And yeah. uh, it's hard to follow somebody like Elijah. That's the whole idea. But Elijah, no wonder he asked for a double portion of his spirit. He said, man, look what Elijah's done. For me to even hold a candle to him, I need a double portion of that spirit. You know, I think I, I catch that in his request. And, and, you know, the beautiful thing about it, uh, and let me say that if you honor those who came ahead of you, uh, God will allow you in time to develop your own persona. Um, listen, it's it's never easy to pastor a church that was previously pastored by a great successful man. And it's, you know, there I could give so many instances. I think one of the great transitions that we've witnessed in our own life, and God just guided this, and it was so fruitful, was Franklin Graham taking the ministry of Billy Graham, his father, who Billy Graham pretty much kind of, you know, retired, then eventually passed away, and transitions often go very poorly, but I think in the case of Franklin Graham, uh, you know, the transition has, has gone so well, and I'm, I'm watching God do amazing things in the life of Will Graham, and so there's a lot of other analogies that we could give, um, but in the case of Elisha, let me just point some things out. Yes, God did do miracles through him, uh, but here's the thing. Uh, he also was a leader. I mean, Elisha uh, helped appoint Haziel over Syria as king. He anointed Jehu as king of Israel, and some of the great prophets like Nathan and certainly like um, Elijah had been instrumental in watching the rise and the decline of, of leaders. But let me say this, Elisha was um, tender-hearted too. Okay, in Second Kings 8... Yes. All right. Uh, Haziel is standing there, and Elijah stares at him till Haziel was kind of like uneasy and embarrassed. And then Elisha began to cry. And Haziel says, Why is my Lord weeping? And Elisha, weeping, says, Because I know the harm you will do to the Israelites. You will set fire to their fortified places. You'll kill their young men with the sword, dash their little children to the ground, rip open their pregnant women. 2 Kings 8, 12, and Elisha wept. And, you know, over time in his faithfulness to God, 
he was able to honor the ministry of Elijah, walk in his mantle and anointing, but he established his own identity. He was used by God powerfully, uh, even politically, but he didn't lose his tender heart for the spiritual condition of the people of Israel. And when you come to Elisha and you look over his life, you, he made the impact upon so many people. Notice kings, you mentioned that. But what about the impact he made just on a, the Shunammite woman who, who he just, you know, came and stayed and strengthened her? Again and again, he would do that, Alex. It wasn't just the kings. He was a prophet that helped, just like we've already talked about, the, the young uh, man that lost the axe head. He had time for them. He has the time for the kings. He has time for the widow. He has time for these people. And because of his presence and, and power of the Lord, he was able to direct them. He was able to help them. And as you said, it seemed like he brought life more to them. And and this life was well spent. And again, I, I still think we need, you already covered it, but I think it would be wise for us to look at that place over in chapter 13 before we go and remind people that he did die. Elisha died. They buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. Now, it seems like it was held off, you know. And when this great man died, some difficulty happens. But when that man was dropped down in verse 21, uh, he revived and stood on his feet. Alex, I think that's the way to end this discussion with Elisha, even though you'd already said it. Uh, from the from his grave, he was still making a difference. What difference are we making in our lives to the generations that come after us? Alex, mm. we want to make a difference for them as well, don't we? We really do. And, you know, think about this. Think about your life, your legacy, the witness that you leave behind once you've gone from this world. We can do that. We live our lives for the glory of God. And this is Exploring the Word. When we come back, we're going to take questions. So that number, 888 589-8840. Call us right now. This is your day to call in with your Bible question, and we look forward to hearing from you. A picture is worth a thousand words. For President Biden, those come as false accusations against our Border Patrol agents, even threatening to make them pay. Pay for what? Faithfully doing their jobs to protect our border from illegal entry? Working hard to clean up a problem caused by President Biden? Come on, man. His accusations have been proven false, but the liberal media and elected Democrats keep spreading lies. Urge the president to apologize to the Border Patrol and to know the facts before speaking. Go to AFA.net. Do you want your life to really matter? Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve. You want to make the rest of your life the best of your life? It's not going to happen unless you put God's action plan into practice in your life. And you will have the experience one day of standing before the Lord and hearing him say to you, well done. Discover how you can hear God say, well done. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart each weeknight at 6 Central here on American Family Radio. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Look briefly at one of your fingers. You've just witnessed one of the greatest displays of God's creative intent there is. 
No other person in all the world, even an identical twin, shares your fingerprint. God specifically designed each of us to be unique. That means we shouldn't try to carbon copy anyone else in the Christian faith. If God made you an arm in his body or a kneecap, praise be to our glorious God for drawing us to become a part of his body. How freeing it is to realize that we were never meant to copy anyone but Jesus. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with a minute in God's Word to help you keep moving forward. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says, Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Everyone is a boss of someone. Even if you don't run a company or manage people, every time you step up to a fast food counter, for just a brief moment, the server works for you. That makes you the boss. God requires that we treat the people who work for us with fairness, patience, generosity, and kindness. As a manager, a boss, or even a customer, you have a platform from which you can show Jesus to those who are watching. And you have a boss in heaven. So treat your employees with the same kindness he shows you. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Beloved, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as Christ is pure. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. to Exploring the Word. Hey, we've got our board ready for calls, and that number, 888-589-8840. You can call right now, and we'll get to your call. There it comes in. Come on, make those calls. Feel like Sherathon doing this, uh, Alex. But hey, by the way, Sherathon is coming up in uh, here just in two weeks. We'll enjoy that and look forward to it. And you're going to be down here in Tupelo with us for Sherathon, aren't you? I plan to be there, yes, October 12th through 14th, and, and please be in prayer. Uh, you know, Bert, as I travel around, I know the reach and the impact of American Family Radio is bigger than ever, isn't it? Everywhere I go, people come up, and they talk about the programming that is touching their lives. You know, when I was in Macon this week, um, so many people came truck drivers, business people. I met some farmers, and they listened in their cab on their tractor. But people drove from Alabama to Macon, Mississippi, where I was, and they were saying how much American Family Radio means to them. And so when Sherathon comes around, uh, I just think it's a wonderful privilege to, that we all join together and we, we invest in the souls of people and getting the gospel out there by many avenues, one of which is radio. Amen. Hey, before we go to the calls, and they are coming in, tell us about 
Truth for New Generation. Give us a little bit update oh, how yeah. people can come. Absolutely. Well, let me say this, too. Uh, this weekend, October 1, 2, 3, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to be at First Baptist Church in West Frankfurt, Illinois. West Frankfurt. Now, I'll be flying into St. Louis and driving over, but Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday in multiple services, Sunday morning, I'd love to meet you, and I'll be there at First Baptist of West Frankfort, Illinois. And of course, October 15 through 17, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Truth for a New Generation, our big conference on worldview, Frank Turek, Sandy Rios, myself, sessions, and we're talking about a lot of things, but not the least of which is a biblical response to the woke movement. And friend, we must pray, be equipped, do what we can do while we have an opportunity to save our country. So you can go to my website, alexmcfarland.com, alexmcfarland.com. You've got plenty of time and lots of hotels and discounts. Come to Truth for a New Generation in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, October 15 through 17. Amen. I hope you can make it. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go to the phone lines if I can get. Yeah, here we go. We're going to go to Texas and talk to Janet. Janet, welcome. Yes. I don't know if y'all heard that Franklin Graham, he's on the Route 66 tour, that he was in Amarillo, Texas this past Sunday. Or not, I'm sorry, Saturday. And uh, he, uh, there was a big revival. Uh, there were 12,000 people there. <laughs> and uh, but I don't know how many uh, received Christ because a lot of people were standing and he asked people to stand. But there were several people because the newsboys were there singing, and uh, they uh, several people after they got through singing, several people left. But please pray for everyone that attended that they will truly repent of their sin and truly come to know the Lord. Amen, Janet. Thank you for that update. Amarillo, Texas, one of the great. I love that town our city, I should say, and uh, just a great, great place. And thank you for calling. Alex, that's exciting, and that's that's quite a few for the day in which we live with uh, COVID and having that many. That's, that's fantastic, Janet. Thank it's you. wonderful. Yes, uh, Franklin Graham is traveling, and, uh, you know, be in prayer for him because when the, the Lord works, Satan doesn't like it. And so we need unity in the body of Christ, and we need to surround our dear brother, Franklin. What a faithful man of God he is. Let's pray for him as God uses him across America. Amen. Uh, let's go to Alabama and talk to Jim. Jim, welcome. Hi there. Um, just have a question in regards to Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to – I want to hear you guys' perspective on – how we are to pray for revival and see this verse uh, in light of knowing that tribulation is on the way. So how do we hold these two hand in hand and hold on to the hope of things getting better, but at the same time, the idea that things are going to get worse? So I'm just trying to really juxtapose these two together and figure out how to see this. Okay, I'm, I, I, we quote the Bible here, but we're also going to quote something else. These are the best of times. These are the worst of times. <laughs> yes. Right in the midst of the worst, Jim, God works. The cross is an example of that. What a dark day 
That was. Matter of fact, it was dark. But in that darkness, the deliverance, the power of God through forgiveness of sin, and that's how it works. Even in the midst of darkness, God's light shines, and we don't know how big the revival again, but we need to be like Gypsy Smith. You know what he would do, Alex? He'd travel around called the Sawdust Trail, and he would get people that were there with the sawdust under the tent. He'd say, make a circle with your left and right leg. Stand in the circle and say, Lord, let revival begin inside this circle. And so we're praying for that remnant, and we believe God can do it. Alex, go ahead. Well, hey, thank you. And, you know, the caller used a really good word, juxtapose. Uh, it, it is, you know, we're living in a world where the Lord is at work, but then there is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we're, as Christians, we're to walk by faith, we're to trust God, but yet we're to pray, and we're to invest and work. And so uh, juxtapose is a good word. I was thinking about this. In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about, you know, not causing a little one to stumble, and it says that uh, it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the person through whom they come, Matthew 18, 7. In other words, it's inevitable in this fallen world that offenses are going to come about, but then later on, right after saying, you know, the evil and the sin of this world is just kind of inevitable, but then it says, um, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and where, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Bert, um, we're in a fallen world, no doubt, but when we come to Christ, we're born again, and the Spirit of God indwells us, and we have a new agenda, a new priority for living. We live in light of eternity, and I think our job is not to necessarily obsessively watch how dark the world is getting, but we're to keep our eyes on Christ and bear the light of the gospel all the more brightly. And um, I've talked to a lot of older people who, you know, things were very bleak back during World War II, and there was a time some thought that Adolf Hitler was going to be the Antichrist. Uh, well, and he probably could have been, uh, but it wasn't the timing. And then, you know, I've talked about um, with people during the Cold War, and I've got some dear friends that were missionaries in Russia, in uh, Moscow, during the Cold War. Um, there's always going to be sin. We know Christ is going to come back one day, but I think now uh, what we're to do is to love Jesus supremely, serve him effectively, and uh, just leave the sovereignty of the, the world's timetable ultimately in his hands. Amen. Let me give this real quickly. We want to go to the next call, but China, and I know what's going on, the China virus and the whole thing, but after the communists took over China, guess what? the missionaries' work that they had done there exploded, you know? And even in the underground, when communism was working and death was occurring, Christ was working. God works. The gospel works under all conditions. It really does. The book of Acts shows that. So we we pray, and we, we pray Second Chronicles, if my people will do that. And I pray we would turn away from our sin. Thank you, Jim. Let's go to Texas and talk to Jeff. Jeff, welcome. Hey, guys. Uh, real quick, in the book of James, uh, he says, count it 
pure joy whenever you face trials of various kinds. Recently in my life, I've been kind of struggling with temptation. Well, all my life, as everyone does. But uh, can temptation be considered a trial? Because it feels like God will put things in our lives in order to teach us things that we didn't ask for. Uh, Is there a difference in how we should approach God when a temptation feels like a trial? Okay. Hey, listen, Bible makes it plain. God does test us. Dr. Adrian Rogers said this, that a faith that cannot be tested can't be trusted. But temptation is another way. Alex, I heard it this way, and we'll try to want to get to another caller if we can. But sure. testing is is to help us. Temptation is to hurt us. And there is mm. a difference. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. And I, I can't really hardly add to that. Um, temptations, you know, standing strong in the Lord uh, actually can improve us, really. And so I, I don't know that I would call the overcoming of temptation, you know, like persecution or anything, um, but um, it actually, if we'll process our struggles and our temptations in the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually grow stronger once we come out of, on the other side of it. And it's going to be the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. All temptations comes under one of those categories. All of them do. And uh, so the lust of the flesh, man, that desire, the lust of the eyes, the desire to want, the pride of life that lifts yourself up. So overcome the draw near to God. Draw near to God during those times. Thank you so much, Jeff. Let's go to Rose in Texas. Rose, welcome. Hi, yes. Um, um, I, actually, my husband and I have been listening to you guys for quite a while. We, we love you guys. You guys are a blessing. Um, I just um, wanted to uh, ask for a prayer request. Um, my best friend of 23 years uh, suddenly passed away yesterday. Um, mm. And uh, I, I know it's partly the enemy because we started going to church and diving into the Word and serving the Lord again. Um, so uh, it was. it's just been a really crazy 24 hours, and I just need some prayer okay. right now. <laughs> Rose, mm. thank you for your sharing that about Alex and myself being a blessing. You don't know how encouraging that is, but we want Amen. to encourage you now and pray for losing a friend. You know, Alex, uh, you lost a friend just uh, last week, you know, that helped you mm-hmm. in so many ways to help with the funeral. Mm-hmm. Let's pray for Rose. Would you lead us in this prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can join together in prayer. And Lord, you hear us, and you are merciful, and you are able to intervene. And I lift up Rose. Lord, I can tell it sounds like, you know, some heaviness on her shoulders right now and her family and the loss of somebody they care about and just the struggles of life. Lord, I pray for the whole church. Lord, we all need you. And and uh, they say there might be 100 million American adults that are Christians. Lord, I pray for every last one of them, myself included. And Lord, that you would, like Rose, you would fill our heart with your presence and give us joy. Help us keep our eyes on you. And Lord, help us to remember what the promise of the Bible is that you would never leave us or forsake us, and, Lord, that you do all things well. So I pray you'll help us to trust you more. We will stand for you all the more consistently, and, Lord, unify the body of Christ, 
And Lord, bring millions into a knowledge of Jesus because you, of what you do through the church and through Rose, who we lift up today. And we ask it in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rose. And we are praying. Uh, we're going to try to get one more call in, and it's Pamela in Texas. Pamela, what's your question for us today? Oh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, uh, I just want to ask a quick question. I, I read the Bible, and I, I read about the flood about Noah. Um, but I was watching a Christian broadcast this morning before I went to work, and um, I thought the, I thought when God destroyed the world the flood with the flood, I thought He just started the race over with uh, eight peoples, including Noah and his three, you know, three sons and their wives and uh, Noah's wife, but. The way the uh, pastor said on the radio, on TV this morning that that was not true, that there were still some people on the face of the earth. So I just wanted y'all to elaborate a little bit on that. Now I hang up mm. with this. Uh, I don't find that in the Bible, Alex. Yeah. And let me say, by the way, thanks for listening. And uh, I, I don't know the program you might have been listening to. I, I don't know. But um, I would respectfully disagree with it because here's the thing. When people say that there were some humans on the other side of the planet that survived the flood of Noah, they generally believe in what's called a localized flood, that there was a big flood, but it was just confined to an area, and that's not biblical. Um, according to the Word of God, and I, I believe what the Bible says, the, the, not only did rain fall from the sky, but the crust of the earth broke loose, springs and wa- the water table beneath burst up. And the Bible says that the floodwaters were covering the highest mountains. And uh, it's even referenced in the Psalms, you know, like Psalm 104. So um, it wasn't a local flood and there were no other survivors. The caller is right. Only eight souls, Noah and his family and the human race was restarted out of those eight because none of the others survived. Amen. Right answer. Let me just say this about science and the Bible. Uh, again and again and again, the Bible has proved to be true, and science many times when it said something else will be proven wrong. And uh, Alex, I know worldwide flood doesn't make sense to the world, but the Word of God states it. Uh, I'll stand on the Word. How about you? You know, Bert, I think that we're on good, solid ground when we trust God for what he says. And so, folks, believe the Bible. We thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. Come back with more tomorrow on Fireway Friday. May God bless you. Thanks for listening.